0: The Formed Book Club. Catholic book lovers unpacking good books chapter by chapter. Welcome to The Formed Book Club. I'm Judo, myself, Father Fessio, and Joseph Pierce, who needs no introduction, as they say. Mm -hmm. Um, We are going to continue and almost conclude uh, our discussion of to the box book the, box, the drama of atheist humanism we are towards the end second to last chapter of the search for a new man we're on page I believe uh, 462 mm-hmm. so Joseph uh, I hand the baton to you
1: well uh, the first thing I have is page 464 so I'll hand it back to both of you if any of you have uh, before that.
0: I have one thing before that which is not exactly extraneous, but is uh, a, a little element which points into the future. On uh, the bottom of 462, he's saying that if it, it is true that the great problems of our temporal life can be resolved only in the light of our total destiny, and thus Christianity. On the other hand, is really lived only on conditions of being, as they say today, fully incarnated, so Christianity incarnated. It is nonetheless true that these confrontations, that is, Christianity with temporality, are always in danger, as we've had occasion to play above, of misleading and blurring something what in mind's the distinction between the distinction between the plane of nature and that of the supernatural. So what he's saying here is that trying to, you know, see how we interpret our historical temporal life in terms of Christ and Christianity, we can blur the supernatural and the natural. And so on the next page, uh, just before that new paragraph, this is why it would be good in closing to look once again, at least in one of its aspects and in all its original force, at the fundamental distinction that must command our whole attention. What's he talking about? Footnote one twenty two. For another aspect of the problem, see Recherche de Sciences roges as a magazine. Le Mystère de le The Mystery of the Supernatural. This is one of the Lubach's major contributions was the discussion of the relation between nature and the supernatural. And he wrote a book called in nineteen forty seven, just after the World War II, and for various reasons got him in trouble with Rome and, and the censors, and he was actually uh, censored after that, but uh, it'll become one of his most important legacies, is how he discussed Thomas Aquinas and the original Thomistic understanding of how supernature is not some kind of a second story distinct from, distinct yeah, separate from nature's the first story. Uh, anyway, it's a uh, it's a major theme in theology to which he made one of the major contributions. So I just want to say that, and we'll go on with uh, the search for a new man. Go, well, ahead. go ahead.
2: I'm sorry. Now that you've brought this up, it, it, it causes me to ask another question, that if the supernatural is not what you just said, then what is it?
0: Read his book, Surnaturel, <laughs> which he later did his two books, which is called, I think, Augustinianism, and what's it called, Thomas? And the second book is called The Mystery of the Supernatural.
2: And do we publish them? No. No? Oh. Well.
0: Uh, I think Notre Dame does one. Yeah, I think it's published by some other very you know, res- respectable publisher. Okay. So, that's as far as I can go. Do you have anything prior to
1: 464, Vivian? No. Well, I I wanted immediately after where Father left off there with the the footnote at the end of that paragraph. The next paragraph is about St. Augustine uh, and the love he had for Rome. uh, Quote, the true homeland of his spirit could only accentuate his pessimism when he saw Rome devastated by Alaric and its empire invaded by the barbarians. He drew from it a twofold lesson at the time, one of detachment and hope. Quote do not become attached he said to this old man that the world is do not be afraid your own youth will be renewed like an eagles so again this this i think is a very important lesson for us because we i think every generation is tempted to believe it lives in the worst of times got you know, the opening line of uh, Dickens's novel. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. And most of us tend to think we live in the worst of times, um, and I, you know, I, I think it's difficult for us to imagine how cataclysmic the fall of Rome was. Um, you know, this was the eternal city, not merely in a symbolic heavenly sense, but in you know, in, in a real. Political, philosophical sense, and it comes tumbling down, and civilization uh, is 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 uh, overrun by barbarians, people with no uh, real culture. It would be very easy to you know to 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 either despair or assume the apocalypse or what have you. Um, and what Augustine does here is one of the wisest uh, saints in the history of the church. He says, "Well, it just shows that we can't trust." Worldliness. We need we need both detachment from the world and a hope that takes us beyond the world. And you know, so so we mustn't become attached to this world, whether it's our own country, our own culture, our own times, our own mores, if they if they are something which are temporal and not uh, eternal. Um, And then it's like, do not be afraid. So the hope is your own youth will be renewed. So the the world is an old man, right? Uh, it's it 's passing away, um, whereas our own youth will be renewed, and of course that, that must mean that if we keep our eyes on on the heavenly reward right the finishing line, then we will attain that heavenly eternal city which will never grow old and which will never be bes- be, never be overthrown by barbarians. so I think it does um, lead us to keep our focus where it needs to be, uh, not in this world although we do have to obviously fight within this world for that which is good, true, and beautiful, but to our eternal destiny in heaven.
0: Yes, and so you were a citizen of the British Empire, which was not attacked by the barbarians exactly like Rome was, but certainly declined from its position of preeminence in geopolitical terms. And you're now a citizen of the American empire, which I believe is in decline, uh, and I think we're moving towards a multipolar world. But I've often thought, why should I why would I not be proud if I were Maltese or Croatian? You know? Uh, they've got wonderful countries. They're not superpowers. But why do you have to be a superpower? Why do you have to have colonies? Why do you have to have do you know we have eight hundred military bases in foreign countries? The US does? Eight hundred We don't need that. Uh, So, you know, if we go from strength to strength, so be it. If it's more likely we go from strength to weakness to greater weakness, that's all right. Like you say, the the heaven in Jerusalem which is present in the church is renewed like an eagle.
1: Yeah, and Father, a few comments upon that, if I may. First of all, uh, rather whimsically, uh, you, you know I was born a citizen of the British Empire, I think technically the Commonwealth at the time I was born, not quite old enough for the empire but um, but I was born a citizen of the British Commonwealth uh, and then uh, became a citizen of the United states So i 've just jumped from one sinking ship to another. that seems to be my destiny um that's that 's the first thing but the, the, <laughs> but the other key thing is that you know a key part of my conversion to Christianity was my conversion from from being a great Britisher. Who was proud of the empire to being a little Englander who was just happy to have the Yorkshire Dales and Yorkshire Moors and the beauty of my own country. I didn't want to to, to rule anybody else. And as regards the United States, of course, the irony is that the United States was formed because of its rebellion against empire and then it has become itself an empire. And so there's all sorts of worldly secular ironies here, which really is part of a comedy of errors or tragedy of errors, if you prefer. Um, uh, But again, it doesn't detract anything from our detachment from this world and our hope for the world to come.
0: And I think, I mean, we try to be patriots, Joseph, but Vivian has a son in the Marines, uh, and she's a patriot and a good one. Uh, And I think it's good, patriotism is good, love of the fatherland, and willing to sacrifice for the fatherland. At At the same time, other people have five lines, too. <laughs> and we cannot make this our lasting seat, that's for sure.
1: Yeah, and, and Chesterton sort of encapsulated the issue here. He says, this, to say my country right or wrong is like saying my mother drunk or sober. You know, if, 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 if your motherland is drunk, then your duty is to sober her up, not not to go along with the drunken debauch.
2: But by the same token... You never stop loving your mother. Of course. So so course. Uh, re- patriotism is really love of home. It, it doesn't mean that other people don't or shouldn't love their homes or that in loving your home, you want to deprive them of theirs or, you know, love of home. and And yes, if it's gone astray, if the members of your family are going astray, then you do out of love, actually. Try to it's because to... you
1: love your motherland that you want to soap her up. If you didn't, you wouldn't bother. You just exactly. walk away. Exactly.
2: So so you know, having a bit of uh detachment and criticism is not an act of disloyalty. It's an well, act but... of greater loyalty to say I love you too much to leave you the way you exactly. are. I mean, that's what God says to us.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yes. Also, uh, I mean, in the midst of a, a bunch of many many uh inappropriate remarks of former president trump he didn't want to say this which i thought was very good because you know his his, his uh, motto was maga make american great again. America, but he said look i want every country to be great again but i'm an american therefore i want us to be great that doesn't mean i want to be uh, us to you know denigrate or you know look down upon other countries each country should want to be great again i thought it was a pretty good yeah, whether you meant it or not, I can't tell you that. But I thought it was well said. Yeah. Well, okay, we're, uh, we're we're moving. Well, forward. I have
2: nothing
1: else in this chapter until the final page four sixty eight. So if anything, NBS anything before that,
0: then um, speak up. All right. Well, the bottom of page four sixty five, two lines up. Whatever, therefore, may be the natural progress gained even more values. So he's saying there may be some progress here in, in history. Whatever might be the, oops, new idea elaborated, something else must intervene in order to confer on all this its definitive value. So whatever human progress there is needs something more. A transfiguration, incommensurable with any natural transformation. That is to say Christ the supernatural have to impinge upon anything which we do to make it truly valuable. All right, is that the end of the chapter, Vivian? I see a lot of marks. On well, your pages no, here.
2: and Joseph has something else. You wanted to. You not, wanted, to for,
1: not to four hundred sixty-eight. Not to the final page.
2: You don't have anything till the final page.
0: Not to four hundred both, both I I have too
2: much because well, this thing read to me like a hymn. You know, I mean, yes. um, yeah. it was so beautiful. And um, but here's another point about the supernatural that. Intrigues me now what he means by, uh, in the middle of the second paragraph on 466, the supernatural is not a higher, more beautiful, or more fruitful nature. It is not, as is sometimes said today, through a poor
0: neo-theologism.
2: Thank you. An over-nature. It is the eruption of a wholly different principle, the sudden opening of a kind of fourth dimension without proportion of any kind to all the progress provided in natural dimensions. And then he goes on, a new creation, a new heart, a new birth, a new childhood. Okay, so somehow, and and I don't know where you're going at the last page there, Joseph, with the eighth day. I hope you, are you going to talk about that?
1: Well, I've got it highlighted, but I'm happy to to, to, uh, to uh, dedicate, to, you know, pass it on to someone else to do it.
2: Well, because what he's leading to here is this idea that uh, whatever man can do for himself, and he ought not to stop trying. I mean, De Lubac is very clear about that. We are here to work in the vineyard. We are here to make things as good as we can. We are here to make contributions to make things a little bit better than they were before we came. You know, we we don't want to lose sight of. Man's work in the world being something that God has given him to do. And it's a participation in what God is doing. But at the end of the day, the eruption, the new creation, the new heart, the new birth, the new childhood is something that we receive as a gift from God. Our efforts can only go so far. But that full and total transformation into Christ is something given as a gift. I I, I was so full of joy reading this.
1: Yeah. Yeah, The only only thing I I would say about that, just by way of clarification, the Eighth Day is not just about this world I mean ultimately the eighth day is the whole purpose of this world is it will be consummated uh, in eternity at some point and we will be we will be consummated in eternity long before that presumably so um so I, I think that the eighth day is something which is 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 not merely something which is imminent but something which is beyond
2: yes um, and
1: what, yet what what we, he, sorry
2: oops, I was just going to say yes absolutely that's where de Lubac is taking us he's taking us but he wants us to understand and value and appreciate what we do in the world in the time we're given, that it matters. It's a preparation for where God is going to take it. It's just we stumble and fall into all kinds of horrors, actually, when we think we're the ones who are going to bring about this final consummation.
1: Yeah, and I like the fact that he does end end the chapter with a return to that – image mm-hmm. that symbol of the of the christian prometheus we are meant to engage scientifically uh, with uh, with the world in which we find ourselves one thing i'm a little bit puzzled about and maybe one of you one of you can can enlighten me the first uh sentence um the first two sentences on page 468 at the top there let man therefore confident of divine assistance take responsibility once again for the work of the six days let him prolong it throughout the seventh day so we've talked about the eighth day, and I yeah, I think it's fair enough we sort of understand that. But what's the distinction here between the sixth day and the seventh day? Is it that the sixth days is creation and the seventh day is us? So basically we are taking we're taking responsibility for the previous six days in the seventh day. Is that is that what he's saying?
0: Well, the sixth days are the days of creation. The seventh day God rested, but they're all days for us in time the eighth day is going to be the transcendence of time and so we are to take responsibility once again for the work of the six days let him prolong it through other that is to say we also not only serve god by our work we serve god by our worship and so okay. we must we must work zealously to try and bring wow. god's presence into the world but and improve the human status but we also have to pray and bring people into the realization that there are seven days in the week. Six days shall men work. On the seventh, we shall worship.
1: That, that's, that's wonderful. That's exactly the clarif- clarification for which I was hoping and, and which I did not have. So thank you. But So the key thing is the seventh day symbolically is the place of prayer and religion and spirituality in our lives.
0: No, no. That's all seven days, the place of religion and spirituality. But the seventh day is a day when we specifically constitute uh, public worship, public worship. Okay, good. Understood.
2: Which actually is a work. You know, like the word liturgy comes from the the word for work, but work properly understood because we live in a 24-7 society where every day, every hour, they're all the same, and they're all for the purposes of work and commerce, and there's no... But so for him to remind us there are six days for the work of trade and commerce and the things you do as for a living. But the seventh day also is a work in the sense it's the worship that is right. our work of praise for God.
1: Yeah. And, and again, just to just to accentuate the uh, father's clarification there as well, that the other six days are meant to also be uh in, in some sense religious because our work is meant to be holy also we don't we don't have to we don't we don't inhabit two different worlds we inhabit right. one yeah right
2: yeah. Yeah. okay
1: well that as far as i'm concerned takes us on to chapter two and we still have 10 minutes or so so i i suggest we
0: embark we have 10 minutes of silence for prayer no, no.
2: let's <laughs> move on to oh, are we moving on or is this a long enough session
0: well, it's only twenty minutes so
1: far. I suggest if we if we want to try to finish next week, we may as well make a start now. Um,
2: okay. All right. I would like Father to give us the translation for that last line, and, um or
0: is this what? That is the translation. After, after. it's given, it off to it. Yeah.
2: Okay. Send forth your spirit.
0: And you'll be created.
2: And that was the prayer for the Second Vatican Council, right? That was the prayer that uh, we were all supposed to be invoking, and we should still be invoking.
0: Yeah, it's a famous prayer, "Veni Sancte Spiritus." Uh, so, chapter two. Okay. Nietzsche is mystic. Seems yeah, amazing. I found
1: this fascinating actually, uh, because um, uh, it serves as. I mean, obviously, the book's about uh, uh, you know is is about uh, atheist humanism, and of course, Nietzsche has been one of the major figures in that throughout. But this serves as a very succinct summary. Uh, on the part of Duhemback, using the quoting other people as he goes along, of Nietzsche, but in in such a sense that the, the, Nietzsche as mystic, there's this he has this vision, um, and th- th- there's this sort of blurring Nietzsche's madness at the end. Um, is this a consequence of this mysticism, uh, and is this mysticism a consequence of some sort of demonic element? Because the way that de Lubac talks about this is as if Nietzsche, in his pride, has opened himself up, if you like, to the demonic and and accepts it and embraces it and then is horrified by it. But it seems that at that point to be too late to do anything about it. In other words, that he is, to use the term, possessed. Now, you know, I'm a bit uncomfortable talking about this sort of thing because particularly a, this is a book about philosophy. You know, and and it's about reason, and and, and admittedly, reason sometimes not not particularly reasonable, but nonetheless, that the idea is, the goal is to be rational, um, um, and so we start about mysticism, uh, and demonic possession. It we're going into a bit of a a twilight zone, but it is, but it is, but it is De who 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 entitles the chapter Nietzsche as mystic so i i think that we are called to go there
0: yes i mean I, i'm not in touch with a lot of things but it seems to me that nietzsche is not an explicit point of reference in today's academic or common life uh he's a figure of the past uh i believe he was very much more present in people's minds in the 20s and 30s and even before that of the last century uh and de I think, uh, like Thomas Aquinas did, like C.S. Lewis did, he's able to see the good and the value, even in people with whom he disagrees greatly. And de presents many positive aspects of what Nietzsche's trying to do. Uh, but in this chapter, I mean, it is. It's Lucifer. It's I will not serve. I mean, talking about a talk megalomaniac.
2: And comes to him as... A flash of light. Lucifer means light, right? The angel of light. I mean, in mind that
1: in in some ways, the whole pride movement, you know, is predicated upon Nietzschean principles, you know, that uh, I think it's important for us to sort of see the connection uh, between this Nietzscheanism and pride, uh, which is seen as a virtue now, uh, and that which is ultimately uh, demonic. And so on page 473 here, we have this August 1882, after he has this vision, um, two-thirds of the way down the page, this is reporting it to, to someone called Lou Salame. He spoke of it only in obscure words and in a hushed voice with every indication of the most profound horror. So this vision, you know, is, is something which fills him with horror. Um, so what sort of vision was it that that, that he can respond uh in that way? And then at the top of the next page. That indented quote there, 474, the sun of knowledge, capital K, is yet once more at its point of high noon and the eternal serpent Mm -hmm. is stretched out ringwise in its light. So, Mm -hmm. again, these are the words of Nietzsche um, Mm -hmm. at this time. And then stop me in a moment, by all means, but I'm just on a roll. So middle of page 475. Zarathustra, as Nietzsche's Zarathustra, of course, is his luminous double. Zarathustra is himself. The one becomes two, and two make only one. I mean, this is the language of possession uh, that mm-hmm. uh, the mm-hmm. Lubach's talking about in relation to, to, to Nietzsche's own words. And then about eight lines down, should he sing of the God who had overwhelmed him or cursed with gnashing teeth the demon who was torturing?
2: Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: Well, yes, but I want to go back because you mentioned on page four seventy four the eternal serpent is stretched out ring wise. What does that mean? Eating his tail, right? Because on page four seventy the bottom, uh, you know, he laughed at it and shut it at his turn. This terrible and marvelous revelation, this ambivalent thought, is held together by two in two words: the eternal return. So that seems to be the the, the the content, the substance of this vision that he has, his ecstasy. But that's not new. I mean, the entire world, East and West, had a view of the eternal return until Judaism with the idea of history and Christianity broke that circle to say, no, history is a line going from, you know, creation to Christ to the parousia. So I mean, even even the fact that Nietzsche should think that he's the brilliant Divine prophet who's to discover something phenomenal? What he's—I mean, I'm just—you know—just a pedestrian thing. But what he's proclaiming is something which everybody thought until Christ came. Why, why does he think he's so brilliant?
2: Well, it sort of reminds me of the the push to ordain women as priests, and we're told that this is being progressive. Ah. You know, priestesses are as old as the hills. There's absolutely nothing new about priestesses in pagan cults. So it's so funny when people latch on to very old things and think that they're putting forth a new idea that represents some step in progress, you know? Yeah, but- absolutely. And, and, and de
1: Lubach says that on page 478, um, Maybe Father be better at uh, at uh, at tra- translating this ter- these terms better than I will. I think I know them. But yeah, he, he talks about the fact that Nietzsche a claim, nietzsche's claims of originality are false uh, so just over half of time, page 478 uh, speaking of a paramnesiac phenomenon or of a crypto, cryptomnesiac phenomenon and father surtelange says quote this brain of fire this is nietzsche's brain this brain of fire burns away memories as soon as a new burst of its interior flame comes to surprise it hmm. so um, I and mean, crypto, cryptomnesiac presumably means the, the, the theft of memory, right? The theft of, uh, is that right? And paramnesiac, something which is beyond memory. Uh, I think the key thing here is that, that, that de Lubach seems to be saying, and Father Sertolange seems to be saying, that Nietzsche either forgets or chooses to forget, or in other words, pretends to forget, uh, the the old ideas that he's proclaiming as his own.
0: Mm-hmm. In those intervening pages, there's that quote from Nietzsche on 476, bottom there. This work, he says, which is his work, is absolutely in a class by itself. A Goethe or Shakespeare would never be able to breathe a single instant in this atmosphere of formidable passion and british insight. Oh, but I, Nietzsche, can, you know. Dante is a merely believer, not someone who first and foremost creates the truth, Oh, yes. We're going to create the to Talk about thinking himself as God. Yep. A spirit who dominates the world, a fateful inevitability. The poets of the Ved are priests, unworthy to untie the sounds of their sister. And even all this does not give an idea of the azure distance, the blue distance in which this work lives. I mean, wow, this guy has really lost his mind.
2: Yeah. And, well, as as DeLubak then says after that quote, yes, there is without a doubt in this tone of his enormous yeah. prodigy that is a forerunner of the abyss. I thought that was so interesting that this kind of colossal demonic pride is the forerunner of the abyss.
1: Yeah, and I'm tempted actually to add him. In, in, it's, it's a pun, uh, a phonetic pun that works in Cockney, but probably not in American. Um, Pride precedes a fall, as in f o o l. Um, you know that basically his pride precedes his falling into foolishness. Well,
0: perhaps we should finish there, Father,
1: because we're out of time. And
0: well, yeah, there's actually there's a little squiggle on the page which marks some kind of a division, but just above that, you know, he considers that he's produced, uh, he's proclaiming a fifth gospel. This fifth gospel abolishes the preceding ones, the four Christian gospels. Then down about half of that paragraph. From this day on, Nietzsche, an inspired prophet, and more than just a prophet, to be sure, did not pass himself off anymore as a mere critic, an adversary of Christianity, but as a rival and successor of Jesus, brother. Yeah. But he was really he was brilliant. But that just shows David yeah. brilliant, you know. Yeah. I've avoided that danger. Well, let's, let's call it for this. <laughs> Let's call it for this session and fin- we'll finish this next session. Thank you, everybody. God bless you. Oh, we were going to do the. Are oh, we still on? Yep. Oh, oh, good. We forgot. Thank you, Vivian. Our next text will be The Lost Mandate of Heaven The American Betrayal of. How do you say that?
2: You got me. Mm-hmm. I just say DM.
0: DM, <sighs> President of Vietnam uh, by Jeffrey Shaw. I mean, this is a phenomenal book which opens up so many avenues of understanding of what's good and what's bad in our country that this man was probably a saint, head of Vietnam. What I I believe, as this author shows us, prevailed in South Vietnam and we had him assassinated. But this is the real story. So two sessions from now, we'll start this. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Vivian. If you enjoyed this discussion, please help spread the word about the Form Book Club by subscribing to the podcast and writing a review. You can sign up for weekly updates at formedbookclub.ignatius.com.